turn to Hebrews. We are covering one verse this morning. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is the word of the living God. Amen. You can have a seat. We begin a series this morning on Hebrews chapter 11, the so-called Hall of Faith. I imagine this chapter is probably favorite to many of you. It gives you encouragement to endure and persevere the Christian life. From verse 1 all the way to verse 40, this chapter is all about faith. A faith that will see you through this life, adversity included, and a faith that will bring you safely to the glory of God. The opening two verses of chapter 11 serve as a window to all that follows. Let me repeat that. The opening two verses of chapter 11, though we're only going to look at one, serve as a window to all that follows. Which is to say, every single individual mentioned in chapter 11 lived and died by faith. And in a certain sense, therefore, they did not possess something grander something more exceptional than you and me. They lived and died, as you and I do, by faith. The same trust-filled surrender granted to us. For our purposes this morning, we will look at two headings. We will look at, number one, the witnesses of faith, and secondly, the nature of faith. The witnesses of faith and the nature of faith will follow these up with a few practical comments regarding faith itself and its exercise in works. Let's begin with the witnesses of faith, shall we? Boys and girls, if you're taking notes, I'm going to mention a few biblical authors We'll call them witnesses of faith for our purposes that view faith from their own particular vantage point. So, boys and girls, if you're taking notes, follow along. And adults, you need to follow along. The Apostle John, our first witness, presents faith from the perspective of its present reality. All right? For instance, faith for John grants eternal life now. So we don't wait, according to John, for eternal life. We have eternal life now. John 5, 24. Whoever hears my word, Jesus says, and believes him who sent me has presently eternal life. So for John, faith in Jesus Christ inaugurates what Jesus will consummate 
on the final day, everlasting life. So we walk right now in eternal life. Good news, right? Good news indeed. What Jesus inaugurates, he will consummate at the latter day, according to John. Our next witness, the Apostle Paul, uh, often, I think, described uh, as the apostle of faith. Paul focuses especially on faith's object, Jesus Christ, whom God made our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, 1 Corinthians 1.30, and in whose person and benefits we participate in only by faith apart from works of the law, Romans 3, 21 to 28. Thus, for Paul, faith is a trust-filled surrender to God. Faith is a trust-filled surrender to God. It is the instrument, not the ground, of your righteousness in Christ. Faith is not the ground. Faith is the instrument whereby the sinner exchanges his sin, okay, our sin for the righteousness of Christ, and thereby the sinner receives the righteousness of Christ. All right? So, so for Paul, uh, faith is all about the object, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where we get this distinction in faith being knowledge, assent, and trust. All right? Three-part definition of faith. So for Paul, it's all about the object, Jesus Christ. And for John, it's all about the present reality that we have eternal life now. Third witness, James. I will not go through all the biblical authors. James, opposing a one-side intellectual view of faith, shows that genuine faith in Jesus Christ gives access to God in prayer. 1.6 Faith is the principle of virtues. 1.3 And faith must, must prove itself as a living faith in the performance of good works. Chapter 2, verse 17. So for James, he wants faith to be public. James wants faith to have teeth to it. He wants it to have evidence upon it as we live this Christian life. Peter, our next witness. Boys and girls, are we catching up? Peter, called the Apostle of Hope, relates faith especially to the outcome of faith. Obtaining this future reward, which is salvation, for which believers are kept by the power of God, 1 Peter 1.5, 1 Peter 2.6. Okay, so, so Peter, he's all about the future reality of what faith grabs onto. Okay, he's kind of the opposite of John. To be clear, Peter does not dismiss, dismiss faith as the instrument that receives the righteousness of Christ. 2 Peter 1.1, 1, 1. I'm getting ahead of myself. Nor does he dismiss that faith is the principle of good works. 1 Peter 1.7 but Peter's emphasis is the goal of faith, endurance, perseverance, namely the consummation of our salvation. He wants our eyes upon our heavenly city. Our last witness, the author of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews 
though insisting that Jesus Christ is the object of faith. I, like, I think the author of Hebrews, by the way, kind of gathers all of these together. The author of Hebrews insists that Jesus Christ is the object of faith. Chapter 3, verse 14. Chapter 10, verse 22. Looks at faith much more from a subjective side. So if Paul accentuates the objective, our object of faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, Hebrews emphasizes faith from a subjective side in us. Which, by the way, makes perfect sense. His readers were in danger of shrinking back. 1039. From drifting away to one. They've become dull in hearing. 511. And so for that reason, the author of Hebrews points out that faith is a way of life. A way of life consisting in the assurance of things unseen, eternal, and still coming. 11.1. That it must prove its genuineness by clinging to God's faithfulness, power, and promises. 11.11, And that faith's virtues consist mainly in boldness, firmness, endurance, and hope. So the author of Hebrews wants believers to fight with their faith. To endure and to persevere. So, I say all that. Our biblical witnesses give us a colorful diversity in one sense. And also a perfectly intact unity regarding the nature of faith in Scripture. Are we tracking? Thank you. In regards to, let let me put this simply, in regards to justification, faith only rests, receives, trusts in Jesus Christ. In regards to sanctification, faith fights, works, exercises, is in operation. Okay? And I think it is this latter sense, mainly, that the author of Hebrews is concerned with in chapter 11. He is regarding faith as it relates to Endurance, perseverance, faith in operation, as John Owen says. And let me just demonstrate this with a little bit of context. Look at your Bibles, chapter 10, verse 39. I want to demonstrate that, that he's talking about persevering faith here. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed. We're not those of of weak faith, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So you want to come to the place where your, your goods are seized and you want to be happy about it, in a sense? Joyfully accept the plundering of your property? The author of Hebrews says that's going to take faith that endures. Faith that strives. So John Owen here, and I'll, and we'll move on. This is so good. 
John Owen says, it is justifying faith that the apostle speaks about here, but he does not speak of it as justifying. Classic Owen, right? You're like, what? (laughs) What does that mean? It is, not, it is justifying faith that the apostle speaks about here. He's talking about verse 1, chapter 11. But he does not speak of it as justifying, but as being useful in all our life with God, especially for perseverance. Okay? That is the witness of faith in Scripture. And the accent the author of Hebrews has is on enduring faith. We're going to read about a multiple of people in chapter 11, but it is not called the hall of works. It is called the hall of faith for a reason. Everything they did was by faith. All right. The nature of faith. Point number two. Verse one. Let's let's look at this. This is the only verse we're covering today. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So we have two parallel statements here. Okay? And I meant to put them on the screen. I forgot. Forgive me. Look at your Bibles. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That's the first statement. The second statement, the parallel statements, parallel statements are meant to overlap, elaborate, agree with the first, the conviction of things not seen. So do you see that? Two parallel statements of faith, describing faith. Okay, let's talk about the second one first because the first one is a little bit more tricky. The second statement, let's do this. The conviction of things not seen. That's what faith is. By the way, I've always looked at this verse and thought, what does that even mean? So conviction, the word there is persuasion. Being persuaded. Okay, so faith, according to the second statement, persuades you of things not seen. It persuades you, faith does, of spiritual realities. Right? Divine promises. Can you see divine promises? Can you touch them? Feel them? No. But the author of Hebrews says, faith The role of faith is to persuade you, is to bring you conviction that those promises are more real than you think they are. That's powerful. You can think of other things not seen with our eyes. The comfort of the Spirit. The majesty of Christ. The danger of sin. The dread of hell. The glory of the church. These are all things we don't see necessarily. But faith's role is to say they're real. 
They bring them into your soul and say, no, they are more real than you think. All of those things you can't see to persuade you of them. That, that's faith's role, to bring you conviction about these things. I find that so helpful because we live so much, do we not, upon things we can't and don't see in this life. So much of our endurance and perseverance is dependent upon those things we just discussed, the comfort of the Spirit, the glory of Christ, the dread of hell. It's all dependent upon faith. And faith's role is to persuade you that they are so real and certain. All right. Uh, first, first statement, no. Faith is not only the conviction of things not seen, but is also the assurance of things hoped for. So, this first word, assurance, the term is actually hypostasis, which is actually a very important word in the theology of the Christian church. The fourth century church fathers used it to describe a subsistence, a person of the Godhead. So faith is a assurance or a subsistence of things hoped for. Now let me, let me try to define what assurance means here. There's two major renderings. If you have a King James Bible, which I'm sure there's not many in here, but that's fine if you have it. That's great you'll see the word substance for assurance. Substance. Faith is the substance, the, what you might say, person of things hoped for. I like that. It's objective. It sounds sturdy. I'm not sturdy. I need something strong. So faith is the substance. Yes, I need that, right? We waver, faith doesn't. Okay? If you have an NIV, which is fine as well, I think it does a good job here, it translates the same word as confidence. More of a subjective sense. And I think the ESV is trying to split the two down the middle with assurance. So faith is the confident belief of future things, things hoped for. So faith says you want to, you long for the city to come. Faith says it will. That's my role, to bring that truth into your soul, to give you assurance that it's real, to give you a substance, a confident belief how do we know that? Faith tells me. So here's my attempt to bring all of this together. In verse 1, what does it mean? Faith makes future things, things hoped for, and unseen things, things you cannot see, subjectively Real and certain in the soul of the believer. I'm smiling. That's really good news. 
faith makes future things and unseen things subjectively real and certain in your soul. So, when you begin to have uncertainty about God and His ways with you, or the way He is dealing with your life, and you begin to be afraid, and you begin to worry, faith as a substance runs in the gap as a confident belief and says, fear not, dear Christian. My role is to persuade you, is to be a substance of things you cannot see and things you long to hope in. You long to be met with God in your grief. And you struggle to believe that he's there with you. For instance, faith says God is with you. It persuades you that he truly is there. Fear not, Isaiah 41, for I am the Lord your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And I will give you my righteous right hand. So faith brings all of the things you and I live upon as believers. Or try to live upon. And brings all of that truth into your soul. And says those things are more real and certain than the things you see with your physical eyeball. Isn't that amazing? What a gift faith is. Because we don't have it physically and naturally to live this life. And so God says, I'll supply faith so that you can live and endure and persevere all that comes your way. It feasts on things unseen and on things hoped for and establishes and grounds them in your heart. What good news. Paul has this to say. I have been crucified with Christ. If you don't know this verse, memorize it. If you don't Sorry, this is what Paul is saying. I have been crucified with Christ. Paul's a dead man. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by what? Faith 
in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul saw himself as absolutely dead, pinned with Christ on the cross. And the only thing that lived in Paul was faith because that's the only thing he and you and me have at the end of the day. Do you trust in things unseen and things hoped for? Because that is the bulwark of our faith. And those things are more real than you think. Now, let's put this to application. And I'll close. Boys and girls, are you still with me? Number one, there's five of these. I'll keep them brief. Beloved, increase your faith. Increase your faith. Set your heart fully upon Jesus, whom, by the way, you can't see. Let him care for you in all things. That he might justify you, sanctify you, and save your soul. Be neither anxious nor fearful about the future. How do you do that? Faith. Be neither anxious nor fearful about your future, financial strain. You fill in the blank. It is all in the hand of an omnipotent, faithful, good, wise Jesus. Psalm 147, 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who hope or trust in his steadfast love. Increase your faith. Number two, make use of divine promises. You listen to Brandon's sermon a couple of weeks ago. Let me give a couple of words to that. In whatever situation you may face, body or soul, Seek for a promise which is applicable to your situation and regard it as infallible truth because it is. In whatever situation you may faith. Then, so find the promise. Scan the word. Oh, I need a promise about anxiety. Something. Scan the word. Find it. Then apply it to yourself as having been made directly to you because it has. This word is the word of the living Christ. And he speaks it forth directly to you by his spirit. Allow that promise to encourage your heart. Rejoice in it and have assurance as you await for its arrival. That promise may land in one day. It may land in one month or it may land in one year. But I say to you, beloved, await the day. It will come. Three. Reflect. On God's perfections. As you by faith await with patience, rest upon God's self-sufficiency. Genesis 17.1 He is a shield and buckler. Psalm 84.11 Rest upon His goodness. Exodus 34.7 By which He did not spare His own Son. He didn't keep Him back, but gave Him 
up for us all. Romans 8, 32. Rest in his truthfulness and faithfulness. Romans 4, 21. Fully convinced that he is able to do what he has promised. Number four. Consider the power of faith. And I don't want to sound... Oh... Like we have what it takes in ourselves to conquer things. But consider the power of faith. Faith supplies the believer with an unconquerable strength by which we conquer the world. Those aren't my words. That's 1 John 5, 4. We conquer Satan, Ephesians 6, 16. Ourselves and our passions, 2 Corinthians 10.5, we conquer the harshest of evils, Hebrews 11.33, and we conquer death itself, Philippians 2.3. By faith, by faith, we conquer things. We'll see that more in Hebrews chapter 11. Five, and this is lastly, congregation faith is an absolute necessity. Without faith, we are still enemies of God. Ephesians 2.1 Nor is there access to God. Romans 5.1-3 Without faith, you cannot please God. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith, we have no business with Christ and are shut out of every hope of salvation. John 3.16 Our greatest need is to close with Christ by faith. And by faith await the day to hear that sweet phrase, well done, good, and faithful servant. Live and die by faith. Let's pray. Our great God, what a gift we have in faith. The assurance of things hoped for in the conviction of things not seen. Oh God, might you do this for us by your spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.